free to break in with questions, arguments, conversations. Like I said, I don't, it's a sort of a work in progress. Um, and so I'm going to present some of my ideas and thoughts about this. Um, but I would love to have others build on that. Um, okay. So um, care personalities, I'm going to talk about from three perspectives. This um, Saint Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuits, was um, a Spanish man who lived in 15th into 16th century Basque region of Spain. And I um, had the huge privilege of walking through that region this summer. I'll share a little bit of that story. Um, and he's the founder of the Jesuits. And basically, this is a, a Latin for a call to wholeness of persons, um, is what I'm going to talk about. Um, and in doing this, I mean both the whole physician or other healthcare practitioner, someone involved in health and healthcare. Um, I speak because the word physician because I am a physician, but I don't think it any way needs to be, or I mean it to be exclusive, but that's just the language that I come from, and the whole patient. And a reminder of who we are um, in the body of Christ from Corinthians in this sense that we are all members with different roles in the same body. So three different sort of perspectives from um, where this come from comes from. A little context about me and my background. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, in Michigan, um, and uh, from a very sort of service-oriented cultural background, social democrat, if you share enough, everybody has enough. Um, my father was a pastor, philosopher. My mother was a pediatrician, which was unique in that generation. Um, she was like second in her med school class at the University of Michigan. Um, and uh, I can remember as a kid going out to um, migrant farm worker camps in the summer to do, you know, physicals. And it's funny because I do migrant farm work work sometimes now in the summers as well. And um, it's just funny to sort of think here we are a generation later. She passed away when I was a relatively young child. Um, but the marks of having come from a um, expectation that you use the gifts you've been given to serve others and share um, is completely where I came from. Um, I went to medical school in Philadelphia on um, a physician shortage area program, which um, thankfully played about half of my medical school bills, but um, also was a designated mentoring program for um, primary care and public health. And so, as I sort of say, I took a straight and narrow path, if you could define family med and public health as narrow towards that. Um, went through medical school, residency, did a fellowship in obstetrics. Um, and moved right along. I um, call maternal and child health, which is evidence of that today, my inconvenient obsession. Um, I have always been um, fascinated and drawn to caring for moms and babies and um, together as a dyad, and that's largely what I focused my career on. Um, so uh, one of my favorite quotes is this um, quote by Parker Palmer. Um, many of you may know if you're involved in education, a Quaker who has just um, really defined a lot of what I know about wholeness, both in our society and what it can be, and in individuals. If you haven't read Parker Palmer, I really, really recommend it. Um, he's a man himself who has struggled with deep depression over the years and has been so open about that and vulnerable. But in the presence of a newly minted human being, I am reminded of what wholeness should look like. So I have sort of combined a career of public health aspects of that, um, as well as clinical care. Um, after I finished my uh, clinical training, I did a public health degree here down at UNC. And within less than a year, I went to Nepal as a medical missionary. I worked um, for an organization that 
places folks where they're most needed, so not um, a traditional kind of mission hospital, but did a lot of community health work. I lived um, for the first three years um, at a hospital, tiny hospital community health program that was three hours walk from um, where the airport was, five hours walk, five days walk from the road if the airplane wasn't going. So super, super rural. Um, it was life changing, um, beautiful, and really, really hard. Um, I um, got to do lots of work um, that I, you wouldn't even dream of being able to do in the States as a family doctor, um, from bowel perforation surgeries to digging latrines and you know anything and everything. Learned a lot about myself. Um, and in the midst of that, learned that um, I was not ever going to be able to fix this village, even if I stayed forever. Um, I, in sort of the emptiness of that, in this mismatch between what I hoped for um, and what I saw around me, um, sought wisdom from uh, some older folks in my mission community, and someone suggested I might need a spiritual director, which was a completely new word to me. Um, uh, and so I was directed towards the Jesuits in Kathmandu. If you haven't traveled much globally, there are Jesuits in higher education in so many far pockets of the world. Um, and so I was, I was directed to the Jesuits, and I walked into this high school, St. Xavier's in Kathmandu, and basically said, I think I need a spiritual director. And I met this priest about this big, Father Cat Miller, who said, okay, we can do that. And so I used to trek in to Kathmandu um, about every two months and do a retreat with him. And that was my first experience of um, spiritual direction. He walked me through the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, which I can talk a little bit more about, before I really even knew what they were. Um, but it was life-giving and forming for me in many ways, and it helped sustain me. Um, I left Nepal in 2004 in the midst of the Maoist civil war in Nepal. There was also reasons for me to come home. My father was ill, chronically ill, and frankly I had never had a job in America as a doctor and I thought I better prove to myself that I can actually be competent if in case I need to practice. Um, and so I landed here. Um, so I had the perfect jobs. Um, I practice and teach maternal child health to residents over at UNC. I'm the medical director of the birth center, which is a freestanding midwifery center in Chapel Hill. I do a lot of global health work with um, residents and medical students, direct the office that does their global health work. Um, and have gotten much more involved in refugee health in the last year. We got a small grant um, to do refugee health work, and that's been great. Um, and then side gigs are the Signation Spiritual Director and TMC work. So that's like the big picture of where I came from. Um, this past summer, I had the opportunity to um, walk most of the way across northern Spain. I had a leave of absence um, from work, and um, I have always wanted to sort of see some of the Ignatian heritage sites. I had um, studied spiritual direction initially through an Episcopal church program and then uh, did additional training through um, Loyola in Canada, which is a center for Ignatian spirituality, and was able to begin to integrate that into who I was, and I wanted to be able to spend more time having a look at that. So I had about six weeks, and um, this is the area where uh, St. Ignatius was born. And he basically, um, in his autobiography, Alone and on Foot, details his walk across Spain. Um, he ends at Montserrat, and then he goes on to Rome. 
Um, so lots of time this summer sort of thinking about those processes. And a beautiful thing about this walk, which really doesn't have new this talk, but it's just really interesting, is that if you know the um, spiritual exercises, there it's um, basically a retreat that he formed for new Jesuits. So there was nine initial Jesuits um, with him when they formed an order. And it was a way of incorporating the life story of Jesus into who you were more deeply. So exercises are basically reflective meditations, mostly on scripture, um, sometimes on some other principles of good living and decision making. Um, there's rules for eating, for example, in the, you know, he really cared about the whole person. Um, and so the weeks, um, which are sort of like chapters, are plotted out. Um, that the first week is about creation in the fall and realizing that we are incomplete as human beings and need God. The second week is about the incarnation and Christ walking on earth. Um, the third week is about um, the passion and the dry season. And the fourth week is about the resurrection in the new church. So Spanish Jesuits have actually plotted those four spiritual exercise weeks out across this walk. So you start out in this beautiful Basque region with like amazing Franciscan monasteries on a hill. And then this is the wine region, La Rioja of Spain, where it's all lush. And I walked through lots of wine areas. This I actually took a train over because it was really hot and there was no food. Um, so I skipped some of the desert part. Um, and I ended at Montserrat, um, south of Barcelona. And then I went to Manresa for retreat. And that's Manresa. So that just allowed me um, to begin to think about this. And I don't know um, if any of you, probably not the current TMC fellows, but folks that were around last year, we had the Practice and Presence Weekend, which is a TMC-sponsored event, was really around Ignatian spirituality and had some speakers um, from Loyola in Chicago, including a Jesuit priest physician, um, Father David DeMarco, who has become sort of a colleague. And we're like thinking about how to take this, these ideas more deeply. And so this was a great chance after that seminar to think about that a little bit more. So what you're hearing is sort of the fruit of that. Um, you all know where we are. Um, and I've just described where I sort of crash landed um, during the time in Nepal. But we live in a world that tells us to do better and do more and do faster. Um, and it's so easy to let others define us. Um, what we need to do, what the world expects of us, and to lose track um, of health and healing. And one um, really important principle that um, St. Ignatius puts forth is you're not going to solve the world's problems. You're going to do what God intends you to do for the world that he is already caring for. Um, so the, the work in medicine, basically, that we do needs to be a process of remembering our wholeness and imagining what wholeness can look like for those we care for and teach and whatever your context is that you're associated with health and wholeness. Um, so that is a different model than um, what we look at out there in sort of new strategies of healthcare administration of changing the whole system. Um, it's uh, a different way of sort of looking at how we're made and how we meet that. Um, so as you all know and probably have seen these articles, medicine is sick, right? Um, in the last couple of years, there has thankfully been more attention to um, healthcare providers, practitioners, physicians, nurses, dentists being sick. 
um, and also the system being sick. Um, something like 50% of physicians say they have experienced some degree of burnout in the last two years. You can follow, how many rooms, folks are in the med school in the room? Yeah, so there's a thing called the empathy quotient uh, for medical <coughs> students, which um, the, uh, you know, is followed sort of by AMA folks, where you start out medical school with a sense of hopefulness and deep desire, not everybody, but on average, <laughs> and just when you start to have that more depthful um, contact with patients in the third year, your empathy quotient dips and basically stays down until the end of residency, and for some it never recovers. Um, and so, like, what is wrong with a system that at the time when you should be interacting and gaining skills is the time when you um, become more hard in many ways? So folks are talking about that. Um, we seem to have gone from a sense of awareness that this is a problem to systems um, throwing things like counseling, which is good. There's nothing wrong with counseling, but throwing throwing um, you know, individual person-centered answers up there to, without like having a look at the wholeness of the system. Um, yeah, UNC, and I feel free to say this because there's nobody in the is gonna hear me, we, I, I have like a wholeness profile I'm supposed to fill out every couple of months to, again, demonstrate whether or not I'm whole. But as far as I can tell, nobody else is doing anything about it except me. You know, I'm just <laughs> filling out this profile so they can measure it. Um, and you're sort of required to do it. But there, I, it's good news that it's being paid attention to, but we have like missed the stuff in the middle. Um, and so I think some, there are some Ignatian prayer practices and principles and ways of thinking about it that I'd love to see how we can apply. And that's basically what I'm talking about. So, and then from the patient's point of view, Abraham Verghese, who um, is one of my heroes, obviously, and many of you know, says that all across the US, the eye patient is getting fabulous care where the real patients are alone and wondering where everyone is. Um, so a lot of dysfunction as well from the patient point of view, and we've come a long way from when healthcare was offered like this, um, where you actually noticed who um, those you were caring for were in the context of their family, their home, their whole environment, and had enough time to sit with them. Um, uh, so both sides are not dissatisfied, or are not satisfied with where we are. Um, paying attention is what keeps us afloat. <clears throat> So the origins of this um, Latin term, cura personalis, um, are from Jesuit higher education. Two related terms that are used in um, Ignatian literature predate this, cura enamorum, which basically dates back to the 16th century or so, and that sort of represented the priest's responsibility to care for the souls um, in a church in the parish. Um, and then subsequent to that, cura apostolica, apostolica is the words used that um, Jesuits are to care for the work, the work of um, whatever community they are a part of and what that community is up to, which can be very variable. Um, and then cura personalis I've stolen um, and trying to figure out how to use it in a larger context. It's originally used basically in the 1940s and 50s in literature related to Jesuit higher education and high schools in the sense of forming students and our responsibility to form students. Um, but I think it clearly also pertains to um, the practice of medicine, health, and health care. Um, part of the reason I think that this uh, Ignatian way of looking at things is um, 
a good fit is because of how Jesu the Jesuit order it has been formed and how they practice, which is different than at least my understanding and interaction with most of the other religious orders that we know, Catholic orders. So monastics who um, are Cistercians or Trappists who work out of the home or in some small business, you know, there's a Trappist monastery in South Carolina that's really popular. Um, they are monastics, right? They Their principles are asceticism, prayer, silence, and solitude. They may live in community um, and they may have a work internally, but they stay pretty put. And then the other groups, the Menincan orders, are the ones that basically live in community and may go out to do service. Um, Mary Knoll sisters are like this all over the world. You know, they live in community and they may have a job. There's lots of chairs up here. Um, out in the community, but they, you know, the, the community job is what they do out of um, probably the fruit of living together. And it's not necessarily integrated in the same way. Whereas the principles of um, Ignatian community life are to live in the world. There may be a few Jesuits, Jesuit brothers, folks who are working with Jesuits that live in the same household, but there's never closed doors. You know, there's a sense that they, they work and play and pray all mixed up together. Um, and this is where the, um, one of the Ignatian terms that's really common, um, and I'll talk about a little bit more, finding God in all things comes from. Um, the sense that you're not separated from the world, you're living in it, and you're noticing God wherever you are. Um, does that does that make sense? Any thoughts about that? Anybody want to add anything to that who know, knows more or differently about Catholic religious orders than I do? It's a super simplification, but... Can you say something about like Catholic hospitals and the religious orders? Yeah, um, I think Catholic hospitals mostly come out of this, you know, second second order. Lots of Franciscans, um, Benedictines in general are monastics as well, although they have a particular um, uh, charism for hospitality, and so there are definitely are Benedictine hospitals as well. It is so interesting how, if you look at the history, and it was very interesting actually walking through Spain and seeing some of these really really old. I mean, hospital. Um, hospice, hospitable, that's all the same route, right? That's all the same words. And um, clearly some of the best early hospitals were because of works of mercy from those who loved the Lord and felt that deep desire to serve. So, um, so I think it's mixed. Um, and I think Catholic healthcare systems are a bit in crisis because they are in a place of having to meet these um, service standards and administration things that you know, just like JICO and everything else that we all have to meet, and yet holding on, and they're in the middle of political battles over um, whether or not they have rights to provide and not provide certain services. But most Catholic orders fall into this. Um, yeah. Other thoughts? Okay. Um, so, care personalis, care of the whole person for the personal development. Um, dedicated towards human dignity, to realizing that um, God can be found in this relationship, in this illness, in this wholeness, um, and also the importance for us as um, educators, learners, students, practitioners, that we give not just our knowledge but part of ourselves, and that is something that also um, helps keeps up, keep us whole. It's, it's really funny to sort of be standing up here saying this, having um, I actually delivered a stillborn baby at 7 a.m., which was hard, um, but it's part of what I do, you know, it's part of what I do. Um, 
And the hope is that um, we cannot institutionalize care as much as I believe in evidence-based medicine, but um, personalize it. I was actually going to tell another story briefly, which I will, because it's not quite so close to home, but um, about a little more than a year ago, I um, was caring for a young couple, Syrian refugees, um, first baby, and they had come through the health department for care, and they were pregnant with a baby who we knew would not survive, anencephaly, when the skull and brain doesn't form. And I met with them with some others for pre-birth planning, and um, having been to Jordan and knowing some of the um, birth rituals for um, Islamic families and what's important, I tried to lay out to them um, what was possible in the hospital and to hear what they wanted. Um, and I remembered um, the importance of the baby um, being able to first hear the father's voice before anybody else's voice, um, or a priest, and even if there's one there, and then also to have a sweet date on the tongue um, as the first taste of being in, on earth, you get a date. So um, my contribution, which was more important than anything else to that birth, was getting Majoli dates from Mediterranean Deli in Chapel Hill, which has the best dates around if you're ever in need of dates. And that probably, that little act of meeting them in that moment with the dates the morning of their induction was clearly more important than anything else I did. Um, and it would have been so easy not to do that. And I don't say that to glorify me in any way, but just like as a demonstration that you can find some little way. There was a way that I was able to connect with the husband of the patient that we de that delivered early this morning as well that I wouldn't have predicted before I walked in that room. But you just like make yourself be present to it and notice what's there. Um, so we're going to have a small act of wholeness now and encourage us, and I realize some of you are students, so it doesn't might not feel the same way, students not in contact with patients, but if you just think, I know these TMC fellows are in contact with people through the um, practicums that you're involved in, just think in your head of the last time you can remember noticing or sharing a bit of wholeness, a bit of someone's personality, what they'd hoped for, a way of connecting that really probably didn't have anything to do with the business of hand of practicing medicine, counseling, providing pastoral care, um, but some place where you were able to meet um, with them. I'm just going to have you think about that for a sec. And we'll give two minutes of silence, which I'll try not to fall asleep in that, to think about what that might be. Try to envision a kind of moment there. Once you have that picture in your head, just turn to someone close to you and describe that. Describe each other's story, just maybe in pairs briefly. And if you can, try to reflect together on any chains in your heart or head that you had as you hear each other's stories. Um, so I'd love to hear not necessarily the stories, so, although if you want to share yours, I think that'd be great, but more a sense of your inner response, both telling and hearing a story and what that, what that feels like, how it may have touched or not touched you, any sense of things? Yeah, just at first, the initial inclination was, you know, trying to think of an actual example that really resonated. But then, 
reflecting on it being a very intimate, personal moment, and then almost like, is it is it okay to share it as mm -hmm. it, you know mm -hmm. as deeply as it was? Mm -hmm. Kind of got to a place, you know, where that was able to be done, but that was the initial reaction. It's hard to begin those conversations for sure. How did it feel to receive a story? Yeah, um, I think that just he hearing it, like it, that there was clear that there was like a lot more behind it, mm -hmm. um, that it's, I think it's hard to put into words. Uh, so I kind of had that, I think I had that awareness of mm -hmm. listening that, um, that like he was thinking about how to express to express this moment, but it's not exactly fully expressible. That's right. Yeah. 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 Are there other thoughts? Yes. Uh, so we were sharing our times of wholeness, and it made me realize when I was thinking about it myself, I was thinking like, oh, there were these like really deep, intense moments, and then <laughs> sometimes I feel like the these moments are just everyday life yep. and like the story you shared was about <coughs> laughter and how just like in very stressful times just sharing a like a chuckle would yep. really lighten things up and yep. bring people yeah, I have to say, Jesuits actually really funny people. <laughs> That's another benefit of them. They just don't actually take themselves that seriously. Um, do, do, do any of you know James Martin? Uh, he's, he's sort of a modern-day Jesuit who has written, uh, he's like prolific in the last couple decades. He has actually got in trouble. Je Jesuits aren't afraid of getting in trouble. Um, can I tell a Jesuit joke? Um, this is one of his Jesuit jokes. Um, there's a guy in New York City um, who goes to a Catholic parish, and he really wants, um, I'm gonna make up the car because I don't know anything about cars, um, and he wants a Porsche. And so he goes to the Dominicans in New York, and he says, will you pray for me because I feel like I want a Porsche. And the Dominicans say, what's a Porsche? He's like, okay, this is not going to work out. Um, so he goes over to the Franciscans, and he says, will you pray a rosary for me because I want a Porsche? And they say, we don't know what a Porsche is, but we'll pray with you. We'll pray the rosary. He says, no, not so good. He goes to the Jesuits and says, will you pray the rosary with me because I want a Porsche? And they say, what's a rosary? <laughs> so, it's sort of a joke of their being in the world. They're extremely godly men um, that I've interacted with for 30 years, but they're a sense of be, sort of being out there in the world and not taking their selves very seriously. And if you're interested in learning like the basics more um, about Jesuit spirituality, there basically is a book, one of his earlier books, the um, Jesuit Guide to Just About Anything book that has like a good um, reflection on some of the things that I'm going to talk about. So. Um, anything else come? How did you feel about the other person as they were telling their story? Some of you know each other, but others were sitting next to people you didn't know. Any reflections? I, mean, I don't know, Jennifer, right? I'm the first time we've met, but it, uh, her story of responding to an act of care that she witnessed um, just revealed that like she's a very like attentive person to what's actually going on in the world mm -hmm. and, uh, and is able to see that clearly. And that, that was really neat to discover. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. I think what's often hopeful in these encounters, and this is somewhat fabricated, is how quickly we can get to a place of reflection that builds. Um, 
Reinhold Niebuhr says we don't learn from experience but reflection on experience and I think you know this kind of thing is evidence of that and in medical education I find it really hopeful that despite a lot of cynicism um, sometimes and not much time when you connect about stories it's remarkable how quickly you can regenerate a sense of joy and encouragement in what we're doing so um, that kind of reflection is I think really important so I'm gonna move on a little bit um, okay um, so this is my own little fabrication, um, which this is the first time I've tried this in public. Um, but how many folks know what Lective Divinity is? Right. Okay, so we've stolen this from the Cistercians. I can't um, give it to the Jesuits, but Lectio Divinity is this holy reading of scripture, um, slowly, multiple times the same thing and divide, diving more deeply into it. So imagine this with me. First, we read aloud. Then we meditate. We actively reflect on it. Then we imagine, we wonder at the possibilities, and then we wait in that story. So think of what it would be like if we applied that to a patient encounter. So, Lectio Corpus. Imagine as we read, you're seeing a 77-year-old widow with arthritis for medication refills. Those are the facts. That's what we're reading. New Gospel. What questions might you ask her? Pondering. Med students should be able to come up with this. How about what medications you're on? What you're out of? What else? How's her arthritis doing? How's your arthritis doing? Yeah. How often do you feel it? Come on. Yeah, how do, how do you feel it? What's it like? What are the stressors in your life? What are the stressors in your life? What else might you want to know about her life? What do you wonder about? Does she live alone? Does she live alone? What she wants to do? Can she do what she wants to do? What makes up her days? What gives her joy? Describe what your grandson's been up to this day. And then imagine just holding her hands and examining them and being present to her. And that whole thing would take five minutes probably, right? And we would accomplish the same thing as we're typing those refills into Epic. Um, and yet this could take us a really different place to pay attention, to respect who people are and where they come from and see where God might be in that. Oops, I didn't realize that happened. So, little model there. Oops, am I going backwards? There we go, there we go. Okay, finding God all, in all things is this invitation to encounter God's presence in each moment, become aware of his beauty in everything, and notice his actions. Um, and this is sort of an ongoing process of discernment. It helps you note where things are, just as we have when we've shared these stories. One of the... Um, key prayers of um, the Jesuits is the Ignatian Examine, which is largely a review of the day and an opportunity for gratefulness. And gratefulness matters. We're designed as human beings to be grateful, and it, it puts us in a better place to receive. So um, there are various words that are um, applied to this Ignatian Examine, but the pattern is to invite God to be present, to be grateful for the day, to express thankfulness, 
And I'm always surprised when I do this in the evening that it's not the big ticket items that um, I'm grateful for, but it's like the really cold Diet Coke or, you know, the sort of moment of crunchy leaves under my feet as I'm walking between buildings or, or what to then review the day and not review it like, I'm trying to figure out where I went wrong myself, but actually put the day before God, like, like you're watching a movie and say, where were you in this? Like, what was the encounter that maybe I wasn't who you wanted me to be? I miss what you were doing. What was the encounter where actually I was led into holiness and I didn't even know it or I didn't fully recognize it? And then to go deeper into one of those places and pray out of that and then to look forward towards tomorrow. So this is a really simple way that we can incorporate a sense of gratefulness and finding God in all things in our daily lives. Curiously, it's been stolen by some other people. Um, I don't think that Healer's Art is here, um, but Rachel Naomi Remen, who's a remarkable physician narrative um, writer, uh, really has used very similar reflections in her course. And I think it's no surprise because it basically works to take time at the end of the day and reflect on what touched you, what inspired you, um, uh, and what surprises you. So I would encourage you, um, I've encouraged the fellows to do this as we've taught it, but you know, even for a week to practice a pattern like this of five to 10 minutes in the evening of reflecting on the day. Um, I think, as I mentioned, um, you know, the, the healthcare system is broke in many ways, and um, other studies about burnout demonstrate that it's often not the time and the responsibilities and those issues that are the core of why physicians are burnout, but more a sense of their values are diverged from the values of the system that they're working in, and they don't know what to do with that gap. Um, and so I think that's where our attention often needs to be turned to and um, to figure out how we can practice medicine, counseling, pastoral care, whatever we do in the healthcare world in ways that are, are compatible and hospitable to our souls. Um, and then this sort of gratefulness and noticing the day naturally leads into the Ignatian language of consolation and desolation, um, which uh, is not... Um, it's more, it can be more complex than this because you can have false ways of consolation and desolation, but it's basically those movements that we move towards God or away from God um, and noticing how that might be applied to the practice of medicine. Um, are we um, believing and leading patients through um, decision-making that would move them to be more of who they are? We might not know who God is in their life, but I think we can help them figure out who they are um, and move towards it. Um, you know, you can think of issues of true consolation where I'm serving out of my gifts. I'm on a migrant farm work van, I know that I'm making a big difference. And perhaps false consolation where I get some accolade for speaking at a conference, but really it's pride. And if I go a little bit deeper, it's actually not taking me closer to who I'm supposed to be um, and trying to notice those things. Um, I think we are caught up um, as patients and providers in a place of, if you can do something, you should do it now. Like it's possible, all things are possible. Um, and we are afraid to put limits. Um, and you know, we're sort of taught ethically that the decisions are not really ours to make anymore. We don't wanna be paternalistic. Um, and so in a time when actually decisions in healthcare are more and more complex, we have in many ways abandoned patients to make those decisions by themselves. And I don't, I don't actually think that's the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't need to be making them for them, but I think we need to empower and work with folks to make them in the best way that moves towards this sense of um, consolation. 
Um, the another so there's two other terms I'm just going to touch on. Um, so magis or this sense for the greater glory of God um, looks at what the best choice is in a given situation of several choices to be more centered. So you're not choosing something that's bad or sinful over not, but you're choosing balance. Um, and uh, a Jesuit principle is really a, a choice of balance. And I think this is what worked for me when I was working in Barona Paul, when I came to the root of, I could give everything here and it still wouldn't be enough, it wouldn't matter. Um, and actually that's probably not what God would want me to do. Um, there's definitely a lot of sacrifice out in the world and people are called to different degrees of giving themselves. Um, but by and large, it's a value central to Ignatian spirituality that you should become more whole as the work that you're doing is completed. And so losing yourself in it completely is not what God would have. So it doesn't mean always giving all the time, but understanding more closely through movements of consolation and desolation um, what God might be up to and, and acting in concert with that. Does that make sense? Any thoughts about that? Okay. Um, and then the last point is more um, a sort of public population-based idea of this, which is the third principle of the um, Ignatian work in the world. Um, that um, what we do, which is why I think it's really important that the TMC fellows reflect on the practicum, um, is to incorporate our theology into the work that we do in the world. So it's not just an act of service, but it is fully who you are, and practical reflection on that in safe places helps you incorporate it. Hard experiences, good experiences, helps you um, see what you are. And so instead of that one person being the patient, society or a particular part of society, be it homeless or farm workers or um, older people at Crowsdale who need more love, um, is uh, basically cura personalis on a population-based level. Um, so we need to consider how um, we are empowered to be a part of answering moral and ethical um, issues in society in a balanced way to understand like what what is my cause or at least my cause for this season how can I reflect on my engagement in this um, is what God would have me be doing um, at our church um, which is a Presbyterian church pretty close to here we've had long conversations about um, the homeless population in Durham and um, there are a number of other churches serving those populations in a different way, and I think we've struggled to figure out what our role is, just because it feels like there should be a role. Um, and just as an example, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's the role that we have to necessarily be doing breakfast or meeting people's needs just because they're here. So like paying attention to how God might be moving in that way is really important. Um, and this is partially why the Jesuits are called contemplatives in action, so not contemplatives, um, like Cistercians who actually just wait in silence, but they act and they reflect. They act and they reflect. Um, and being integrated into gospel stories and noticing how um, Christ used uh, different situations to reflect on is um, critical to what the spiritual exercises are about. Um, just reflecting on two like population-based um, ways of discernment. Um, Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, received their sight and followed him. And from Matthew 9, then when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them he, because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. So this is sort of a population-based view on compassion and action. 
in both of these verses that Greek word, and I'm by no means a scholar, um, basically means spikna, like the messy entrails. So the sense of um, it's an intense place that he spoke and acted out of. Um, and that's, that's what we want to be figuring out. What is that place? That, what is that intense place that just for you is how you're supposed to be involved in work? Um, and you know, maybe that's something to redefine in your life in this season. There is so much need out there um, in different places to interact, and I think that's very exciting. It can also be really confusing, um, and you can end up taking on other people's dreams because you're not paying attention to how you are made and your gifts and what God might be asking of you. Um, so, so that's my sort of overall trying to blend my experience with um, Ignatian spirituality and the basic principles with who I am as a physician um, in the one person and in the population, looking at this sense of finding God in all things and noticing for the greater glory, um, reflecting on how I make decisions, how I note um, when something takes me towards or away from the Lord, and where I note um, I'm called to be a part of faith doing justice in the world and what that looks like. That is what I have to say. Um, I have some references, and I'm happy to like leave this handout if folks want to reflect on it later. But I'd love to hear what um, jives, what doesn't jive, what seems unclear. Like I said, this is just sort of a, a work in progress as I think about how this fits together. Um, I do think that the discernment is something that we is broken, you know, in our in the way we make decisions in healthcare now, and we need to get back to a place of being partners with our patients um, and doing that and not abandoning them to decisions, um, or our colleagues to decisions, actually. Um, so I hope that's something that we could change. But. We've got 15 minutes for conversation, so mm -hmm. questions for Dr. And But if you need to leave to be somewhere at one, please feel free to leave. I'll just soft stop it. Yeah. I always appreciate the exercises that you give us, particularly this one where you're having us tell a story and practice connecting to another person telling yeah. them a story about connection and those questions you asked afterwards. Um, there are models of um, community-based care of the soul mm -hmm. that are designed to help people with attachment problems. Mm -hmm. So these are usually people that have experienced severe trauma and one of the earliest practices that they teach you mm -hmm. um, is how to tell a story in a way that helps the other person feel mm -hmm. present to it mm -hmm. as an, as an uh, mm -hmm. A way of practicing connection. Yeah. Um, and they use the once they build up to this, they use this when the person is distressed mm -hmm. uh, to help them calm down. Mm -hmm. So rather than obsessing over fixing the problem that's causing the distress, mm -hmm. having them activate this practice within a relationship to help them access that place of joy within the story, mm -hmm. which helps them calm their body down yeah. and actually gets them in a place yeah. where they can problem solve. Yeah, I I get that. I don't know that particular method, but mm -hmm. storytelling is healing. Um, and I think reading closely and writing can also be really healing. Um, it's a different talk, but sort of the role of narrative medicine in keeping us connected to who we are, I think has some of the same aspects of like going past the superficial and, and being able to sit with things and describe the particularities in a way that encourages being present. Yeah. Yeah. So other thoughts? Is there anything that doesn't jive? That doesn't make sense. Like I said, you're like my novel audience. So. I have a question, yes. totally from ignorance. Is there a, a place for asceticism within Jesuit tradition? 
they live simply, so in that way, yes. So the Porsche is a bit of a joke. They would joke at themselves that way, but they do like a good glass of wine, no doubt about that. Um, uh, but yes, I would say, I mean, they, honestly, Jesuits are in every corner of the world. Um, and so in that way, they live very simply. They live in, you know, Indian hospice settings and rural places all over the world. Um, they do not, they, they're not in this last few centuries an order that practices um, any of the early self flagellation, self-control kind of parts of asceticism that were popular when St. Ignatius and St. Ignatius' time, all of that is gone. Um, but I think the simplicity part and living on par with those around you um, remains important. I could ask a follow-up yeah. question mm -hmm. to that. Um, from your time in Nepal, it strikes me that that was, whether you framed it this way or not, um, kind of an ascetic thing. Yeah. Um, and it also strikes me that here in the West, um, we've lost a lot of times, we've lost mm -hmm. that sense of medicine's true north, which I think is kind of where hospital care originated. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how to ask a question, but I, I wonder if you could comment on those kinds of things um, as far as the just activity of medicine, its, it's end goals socially, and how it might relate to what you did in Nepal. Yeah, I mean, I think we have complicated it so much and put almost total value on long life um, in a way that I didn't know in Nepal. Um, I think there was a much greater sense of whole people were people that could vote and could read and could feed their children and also were vaccinated and healthy. Um, whereas here, I don't get to talk about any of that stuff really in the same way. There's not a sense of, of that wholeness. And um, so we have divided medicine out of that in a way that I think is damaging. Um, and it's just more complicated, you know, like it, my life was a lot simpler in Nepal um, in many ways. My life here is not that complicated compared to many people's, but um, if you just feel that degree more separated, you know, the amount of time I have um, with patients and the other administrative tasks that interfere with that. Um, I don't know if anybody else in healthcare wants to, Jennifer wants to reflect on that. I'll ask you. Thank you. This is really wonderful. Do you ever have the opportunity to do this with a puzzle? I never have. This is like the not. This is it. This is the first showing. <laughs> and just this thinking, um, especially when you're talking about making sure that we don't lose ourselves. Uh huh. Um, in giving and um, the system in which we're administrating, it's mm -hmm. more and more of us, and we really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just yeah. There's um, a psychiatrist at UNC, Samantha Meltzer Brody. Um, who is doing some really amazing work around physician wholeness, taking care of our own. And she's asking very hard questions of the administration um, about this like gap between, you know, okay, so they're unhappy and you do these quotients to measure their unhappiness and suggest what feels like relatively superficial answers to that, but this whole system in the middle, can we not address changing that? And, and definitely I think she's asking those questions, not from necessarily a biblical or you know, God-based perspective, but I think I think those things are important. And I want to believe that hospital administrators are in healthcare for the right reason that they care about patient care. I'm going to choose to believe that. <laughs>
just want to comment um, on something that resonated with me when you said um, becoming whole in the work one does. Um, I had a previous career that I felt you know was good and important work, at least for most of the time. Um, but over time, really sort of tore me down and, and didn't make me whole. Um, mm -hmm. And just uh, how important of a concept that is, mm -hmm. something to try to carry mm -hmm. forward. Yeah. And there are different seasons. We change at different times in our lives, you know. Um, so I think that's true. But I guess I'd encourage you to take just take one of these ideas, whether it's the examine or noticing in a day what moves you towards God or moves you away versus what the world says should move you a particular way that you should be inspired by. Or think about that principle, you know, of faith becoming justice, faith doing justice and noticing like contemplation, population based contemplation, what that looks like in some way, in some public health kind of way. Um, and see, just do a little self-experiment. Is that a hand or scratching your head? Yeah. Well, I, I, I do have a question. Um, <clears throat> where, um, how would you or, or Jesuits, in, in a complicated world, mm -hmm. um, and when we're trying to listen to, um, to ourselves, to God, to find what's true, mm -hmm. um, there's so much noise, mm -hmm. and you know, I mean, you know, like contemporary sort of behavioral economics. There's so many, there's mm -hmm. so many influences and constraints, like that the systems put upon us. Mm -hmm. um, how do we, how do we separate and, and hear our truth? Mm -hmm. How, mm -hmm. how? I think practice, and this is you know answering your question. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I Jesuits from the beginning practice making decisions finding prayer time, connecting while they're active. So it's not like they go away for a 30-day retreat and come back and work for a while and go away and rest again and come back. You know, they're continually practicing um, the examine and scriptural sort of imaginative meditation and using um, some of the exercises of reflection as they go about their daily jobs. And we are not practicing that. You know, we wear ourselves out working and then we take a break and then we wear ourselves out working again and we take a break. Um, and so I think that is that's is sort of broken, um, and it would be good to sort of figure out how we can be healthier in that balance. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's, yeah, it's yeah. That's why I think it sort of fits um, Ignatian <coughs> spirituality with medicine and, and academia. Really, is that it's a very present kind of way of looking at how God is working. Yeah. Okay, well I will hang around for a few minutes in case anybody has any questions. Um, and I'll be sure they have.